Hey everybody, welcome to week three of our series Counterintelligence. And we've been looking at parts of the Bible that talk about what the enemy is up to and then what we as Christians can do to understand those schemes and then overcome those schemes. So all of these messages have come from 1 Timothy, and in particular today, we're going to be in 1 Timothy 6. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can go ahead and turn there, and we'll be there in just a minute. So have you ever heard of a guy named Robert Hansen? He's a good-looking guy, grew up in Chicago. His dad was a police officer, grew up going to church, just a good, good citizen of the U.S. Well, the Department of Justice describes him as, and I quote, possibly the worst intelligence disaster in U.S. history. So what exactly happened with this guy? Well, here's the story. It's 1976, and this guy starts working for the FBI. And three years later, for whatever reason, he walks into a Soviet embassy, and he says, hey, I want to betray the U.S., and I want to start working for you guys. And so the Soviets say, that's great. We'd love you to work for us. And so this guy completely betrays the United States of America. And for 22 years, he starts giving all this information to the Soviets and then later the Russians. So he's given top uh, secret documents, thousands of them. He, at one point, he delivers uh, secret information about this top secret multi-million dollar tunnel that the U.S. is trying to build underneath the, the Soviet embassy on the state side. And so that all the plans uh, end up being ruined because he, he leaks them. So at, at one point, he actually uh, gives away information about what the U.S. would do in case of a nuclear uh, war. Uh, he gives away information about our top secret weapons, our top secret technology. He even uh, gives away the information about double agents that we have working for the KGB. So these are people that are in our government, but they've gone undercover, now they're in the KGB. And so he gives these names to the KGB and, and these people end up getting executed. So this dude's like, he, he does a lot of stuff to devastate our, our country. And in fact, uh, the US spent millions and millions and millions of dollars trying to find out who this mole was. They, they couldn't figure it out. Well, finally in 2001, they caught him. And they arrested him and they sentenced uh, him to, I think it was 15 different life uh, term sentences uh, without the possibility of parole. And now the question that everybody was asking was, why? Like, who would do this? Like, there's no uh, rocky history in, in, in his family. Like, no one else has done this. It's not like the U.S. betrayed him and he's seeking retribution. Like... No one can figure out why would he betray his country like this. Well, they interview him, and can you guess why he did it? You probably just nailed it. He did it for money. In fact, he told uh, interviewers that he simply wanted to buy nice things for himself and his wife. And says, so, you know how much money he made in 22 years? A total of $1.4 million. That's it. About $60,000 a year. So he sold his country out. He ended up causing the execution of patriots from this country. And why did he do it? It's the same reason that you want to raise. He just wanted a little bit more. 
You see, Robert learned what a lot of us know and what Paul wrote very eloquently in 1 Timothy 6, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, you don't have to be a government agent to, to be affected by that. You just have to be a human being. In fact, you might think that I'm a little strange here, but I've got this voice in my head, and it's always saying, you just need a little bit more. Like, you just need a little bit more money. You just need a little bit more stuff. And I find the voices, like, it's, it's always there. It, it never goes away. And maybe you don't think I'm crazy, because I'm guessing a lot of you have the exact same voice. You just want a little bit more, because if you have a little bit more, then you can afford the, the bigger home, or you can take the vacation that's just a little bit nicer than what you were previously planning on, or you can finally afford the remodel or the car. Like We're, we're all caught up in this story of, of more. And, and the crazy thing is, like it, it really never goes away. Like You think about, just think about purchases you make on Amazon or wherever you, you shop. Like You know how this goes. Like you, you buy something, and then immediately after it comes, like you're happy for a little bit, but then you want more. Like that, that feeling of satisfaction does not last very long. Uh, when you get what you want, you want what you lack. I always find that principle true in my life. When I get what I want, I want what I lack. So, so like a, my, uh, I bought a single serve coffee maker like two years ago, and I, I, I enjoyed it for a little while. But then I realized, oh, that's not. It's not quite big enough, and it doesn't take the normal size K-cups. And so I immediately thought, well, I need another one. So I bought another one. Well, now I want another one. It, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't go away. When you get what you want, you always want what, what you lack. Like, like, think about it this way. So let's just fast forward four years. And let's say that you've, in those four years' time, bought 300 items on Amazon. Well, I'll, I'll predict your future. Four years from now, if you've bought 300 things on Amazon, you're still going to want more. You're always going to want more because the craving never goes away. Uh, so, for example, just, just to tell you how insidious this particular tactic is from our enemy, a few years ago, the Powerball lottery in our country uh, went up to $1.6 billion. That's a lot of money. And so obviously millions of people all around the country are buying lottery tickets. Well, three of those people would be Alex Ovechkin, Aaron Rodgers, and Carmelo Anthony. Three of the most recognizable, wealthiest athletes in the world. Now you might say, wow, why would they do that? Like, isn't there a point at which you have enough money where you can just stop? <laughs> well, apparently not. Because if those guys are out buying lottery tickets, then it just goes to show us that this, this craving for more, it really never goes away. Enough actually has nothing to do with amount. This is a battle that every single one of us is going to have to deal with the rest of our life. And so that's why I think this passage that, that Paul has for us in 1 Timothy chapter 6 is so important. So I want to hop into it. Verse 2, these are the things you are to teach and insist on. So the, the, the following verses, like this is what Paul wanted preachers and teachers to read and, and teach about. And these, these are the things that he wanted you to hear. Uh, skip down to verse 5. Some think that godliness is means to financial gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. 
For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And here's the famous verse. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And so this series is it's all about strategies from the enemy. And this particular lesson is, is really how do we fight the influence of affluence? Like It doesn't go away. It's always there. Is there anything that we can do to, to fight that, to push back? And so I want to give you one big idea. And then I want to give you a few ways to, to practice that in your life. Here's the big idea. Invest in your contentment plan, just like you do your retirement plan. So, so a lot of us, you know, early on, we're taught save for retirement. It's a smart thing to do. I remember being told that in high school and in college. And when I started my career and I have a financial counselor and, and I meet with her every once in a while. And that's always what we talk about. Are you, are you saving enough for retirement? And the reason that I follow that strategy and, and you probably follow that strategy is because it's a really wise thing to do. Like the wisdom is retirement doesn't happen by accident. Like you don't just wake up one day at 48 years old or 65 years old and say, I'm going to start saving for retirement right now. Like you have to start that really, really early if you want it to work later on in life. It, it doesn't just require a goal. It requires a plan. Well, contentment is just like retirement. Like, I, I don't know why, but some people tend to think that contentment is more like a spiritual gift. Like some people have the spiritual gift of teaching or some people have the spiritual gift of wisdom or leadership or whatever. And it's, it's like those things are just gifts from God and they come naturally and some people have them and some people don't. And so some of us think, well, yeah, contentment's kind of like that. Some people are just generally more content than other people. Contentment is a discipline. And Anybody can be content and anybody cannot be content. In fact, look at the language here in this verse. Paul says that uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. As in gain would mean like it's an accomplishment. Like this is an achievement. Like in the same way that you might work really hard to, to land a job or work really hard to get a degree. And then you would have some celebration or some party. Paul's saying that it's kind of like contentment. It's a, it's a gain. Like contentment is not analogous with taking a walk in the park. Contentment is analogous with training for a, a marathon. In fact, this is why Paul in another book, Philippians chapter 4, he says you have to learn to be content. Like it's not something that you're naturally born with. It's something you learn to develop over time. And so you and I, we need a contentment plan. Uh, so, so another way of putting this very simply would simply be that uh, contentment takes commitment. Like you got you got to own it. If you really want to be content, you actually have to have a plan. See, it's, it's not enough to have a goal. I think everybody would say, I would like to be more content of a person. A goal is great, but what you really need and what I really need is, a, is an actual plan. And so based on this passage of scripture, I want to give you three very very practical steps about how you might better um, start to undertake a contentment plan in your life. So uh, first, let me read verse 9 again. 
Paul says, those who want to get rich, who want to get rich, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. It's really negative uh, passage, negative words there. That, that's the story of Robert Hansen. I mean, ruin, destruction, like that's what happened to him. And so Paul is saying th this is the destination that will happen to some people, ruin, destruction. And it's important to note the kind of people that Paul says this happens to. So to be clear, he says, it's those of us who want to get rich. And so here's one step that you can add to your contentment plan. It's pretty simple. Acknowledge that you're already rich. Like just say it, you know, I'm already rich. And the reason that is important is that when we acknowledge that we're already rich, it doesn't take away completely the craving for more, but I do think it does lower the craving. So for a minute, uh, this might get slightly uncomfortable, but I want to share a few things with you because some of you might be thinking, well, you know, yeah, some people at Memorial Road are rich, but that's not me. Like, I'm not the one that's rich. Well, buckle your seatbelt. I want to share a few things uh, with you about that very subject. So if you make $20,000 a year or more, then you are rich because the median household income in the world right now is less than $10,000, according to a Gallup poll. Uh, if you can walk into a room in your house, a kitchen or a bathroom and turn the sink on and get a cup of water and drink it, then you're rich because there's still about a billion people in our world that do not have access to clean water. If you have a car that you drive, you're rich. You're one of the lucky 20% of people in the world who have access to a car. If you have two cars, you are really, really rich. If you have a house, you're rich. If you have a house attached to your house that houses your car, we call those garages, then in many countries in the world, you would be considered a king or a queen. You see, we in the United States of America, we get sucked into this illusion that we are rich or not rich compared to our neighbors, compared to our friends. But when you pull back and compare it to the world, then the reality is every single one of us is filthy rich. In fact, I actually think it's important to say out loud. So I'd, I'd like you just to say this with me. Just say, I am rich. I am rich. And, and the reason it's important to say out loud is because the best way to defeat a lie is to tell a truth. And the truth is that you and I are rich. And when we say that out loud, the lie has less and less power. So G.K. Chesterton, he has a great quote. He says, there's two ways to have enough. You can either accumulate more or you can desire less. And so when we acknowledge that we're already rich, I do think that we desire the money more than when we're just comparing ourselves to the Joneses and comparing ourselves to other people. That's, that's when we're wanting it more. Let me give you a second uh, step in the journey towards contentment. Practice under consumption. 
So a lot of people operate by the principle that if I can afford it, I'm going to buy it. And some people even operate under the assumption that even if I can't afford it, I'm still going to buy it. But we need more people that can live by the principle, I can live with less. I can live with less. And this particular value is so countercultural in our country. So, for example, uh, when you look at uh, the, the storage unit industry, uh, this was a, a stat from 2018. When you look at all the inventory on planet Earth that is found in storage units, do you know what percentage of that inventory is found in the U.S.? 90%. 90% of the world's storage inventory is housed in our country, meaning that we live in a place where the chief value is to acquire as much as possible. But if, but if you're going to be someone who goes against that and tries to be a content person, you have to learn to live with less. Like, like it's a, requ it's a requirement. Like you can't be content if you're always amassing and hoarding more and, 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 and practicing over consumption. What you, you and I need to learn is under consumption. Paul says this verse seven of the same passage, we brought nothing into the world, nothing. And we can take nothing out of the world. See, you weren't actually designed to own things eternally. So, so why would you spend your whole life accumulating things that you can't take with you? Everything belongs to God. All of it. Every building, every car, every house, every article of clothing, every dollar, every human being, it's all God's. It's all his. And so the more that we can let his stuff be his stuff, the more that we can be content with the very few things that we get to, to steward for the, the blip on the radar that we are on this earth. When I was in my early 20s, I was invited into the, uh, the home of uh, someone my age. There's a couple that just graduated from college and it was, they invited me to their home and it was this massive house. And I'll be honest, when I walked in, my first feeling was I was jealous. I was like, how can you afford this? Like, They didn't have high paying jobs and I had no idea how they could afford a house like this. Well, it turns out they couldn't. They just got caught up in the comparison game and they thought it would be the right thing to do to, to take out this massive loan that they, they couldn't afford. And I don't know how they qualified for it, but it, it actually sent them into this spiral of financial hardship, which really affected their marriage. That's overconsumption. But I could tell you story after story about people in our own congregation that that practice under consumption all the time in fact you and i are blessed because a lot of people in this church have decided that they're always going to live below their means and when they live below their means that means they have more money to give away you see you can you can practice under consumption at any level you say you're about to go buy a new car Maybe knock a few thousand dollars off what you were wanting to pay so that you can have that money freed up to bless other people. Maybe you're going to go out and buy a pair of jeans. Maybe you buy a pair of jeans that looks identical, but is $30 cheaper. So again, you have more money freed up to bless other people. And I would also say it really does make you content over time if you can learn to practice under uh, consumption. Now, here's your third 
third step, and this really is, is related to underconsumption, because when you practice underconsumption, again, you have more money to give away. So here's your third and final step in this plan for contentment. Give regularly. You see, when you and I give spontaneously, it, it really makes our hearts feel good. But when you give regularly, that really does start to change your spiritual life in a healthy direction. See, giving regularly, it's hard because, you know, for those of you, you'll know this, if you give all the time, you could let your mind go towards, I wonder what I could have done with all the money over the last five years that I'd given away. You can let your mind go there. And if you really let your mind go there, it's, it's probably a lot of money. Giving regularly is hard. But the flip side of that is, for those of you that do give regularly, your money doesn't have as much control over you because you're all right giving it away. Like for those of you that are regular givers, you don't just wait for a few times a year when, when someone pricks your heart, like you've made it a spiritual discipline. And so therefore over time, you're not gonna fall into this trap as much as other people because the discipline itself fortifies your spiritual strength to resist this particular temptation from the enemy, uh, the love of, of money. So I, I want to say a word about our uh, church budget this year. So early on in 2020, before the pandemic hit, we were actually uh, over budget. Like we, January and February was two of the best months of giving that our church has, has ever had in, in, in history. Well, then the pandemic hit in March and, and early on, we were actually fairly encouraged because our, our giving dropped to 90% of our uh, budget for, for the year. But we felt with, with all the, the financial implications of the pandemic, that, that, that was a healthy number. And, and even behind the scenes, elders and, and staff and ministry directors, we, we, we cut back spending. We're trying to be good stewards of the money that God is blessing this church family with. Well, as the, the year has worn on and on, that the deficit has got quite a bit uh, bigger as the months have worn on. And, and next week, we're going to talk a, a little more in detail about this. But, but I would just say two things. Number one, I would say, if you're a regular giver at Memorial Road, I, I just want to say thank you. This has been one of the most difficult financial years for our country, uh, for our state, for our city, and for many, many families in, in, our, in our church. And so for those of you who have continued to, to contribute, I, I do wanna say from the bottom of my heart, just thank you uh, for your service to, uh, to the church. Uh, I also wanna say for those families that, that are struggling financially, many of you have reached out, but there's probably some of you that still haven't for, for whatever reason, please reach out. Uh, if that if that's your story, because you don't want to let pride get in the way of wisdom. And so it really might be that right now you need to shoot off an email or make a phone call to, to someone in the church office and say, hey, it's it's pretty hard right now. We could use some assistance. We, we would love to hear from you. And I also want to say a word. if For those of you that are not regular givers, but your finances are okay right now, then I want to unapologetically challenge you to become a regular giver. Do it for the sake of the kingdom, do it for the sake of this church, but also do it for your own contentment level. Again, 
you, you can't be content if you're always stuck on the treadmill of, of more. And one of the best ways to get off that treadmill is to practice giving regularly. I'll tell you a, one final story. So there's a guy named Rich Mullins. He, he died 15, 20 years ago, tragically in a, in a car wreck, but he was like uh, Chris Tomlin before there was Chris Tomlin. So, so Rich Mullins was, was uh, a contemporary Christian music artist early on. And uh, you, you know some of his songs, Awesome God, Step by Step, he wrote those songs and, and he was super successful. He was artist of the year, uh, song of the year. He, he had lots and lots of awards. He, he made a lot of, of money. Well, well, after he died, his producer sat down to do an interview about Rich and I wanted to read you uh, what this producer said about Rich. I asked Rich a question that wouldn't normally be appropriate, but after eight records that we'd gone through, all the appropriate topics we had covered a long time earlier. So I said, bro, what's a typical quarter for you in writing income? And by the way, if you can address someone as, as bro, you know you're, you're close. So bro, what's a typical quarter for you in writing income? Because songwriters get paid every quarter. He said, I don't know. I said, you don't know? Don't the checks come to your house? He said, no, they don't. I said, where do they go? They go to my church. Why do they go to your church? They go to this board of elders that kind of heads over my ministry. I'm paid the average annual salary of a working man in America for whatever year it is. And everything else is either given away or used for retirement or whatever. Did you catch that? Rich decided that he wanted to be paid the average salary of an American worker in a typical year so that all the rest of, his, of the money that he made could be given away to the church and to charity. Now you might say, that's, that's crazy. Who would do that? That's not good stewardship. But let me ask you something. You think, do you think that Rich Mullins was content? You better believe he was content because he had that kind of relationship with his money. He knew it wasn't his. He knew it belonged to God. And he knew the best thing he could do was steward it. Not for his own temporary satisfaction, but steward it for the sake of the kingdom of God. One final thing Rich said, he said, uh, If I knew how much it was, as in if I knew how much money I made, it would be a lot harder to give away. You see, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But the love of God is the root of generosity. So the more that you love God and the more that you receive God's love for you, the more generous you will become. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer in just a minute, but I do want to let you know that if, if you need anything from this church family in this season right now, I really want you to contact the number on the screen and let us know about that. So if there's any way you'd want to respond to this particular message, please, please reach out to let us know about that. Let's pray together. Our Father in, in heaven, you are the giver of all good things and every single good thing we have comes from you. So Father, would you help us to be more content Help us to 
recognize greed in our lives and would you loosen greed's grip on our hearts? Uh, Father, we do pray that we could become better givers of the, the, the resources that you have given us. Father, we pray that we could acknowledge that, that we truly are rich people. And compared to, to the rest of the world, you have given us so much, Father. And so help us to acknowledge that. Father, we want to be content. And so we pray that we can receive your love and become more generous and content people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.